This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It's not to be taken as financial advice. The only way to do something like we've done or part of what we've done or more than what we've done is, is by properly leveraging debt. So that's where it starts is we, we leaned into using debt to buy cash producing assets that produce cash and grow in value. So, you know, if you're, if you're using other people's money to, you know, have a safe, smart investment, then that's how you scale and grow quickly. You're listening to the RE Social Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Vince from Onvi Invest. For more information, go to onviinvest.com. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of RE Social. Today, we have a super special guest, Mr. Sam Fram from Sam Faster Freedom. If you haven't seen him online, you are probably living under a rock, so maybe you should get an internet connection. He's all over Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. He went from zero to, I think, 50 million in what, like less than five years. It's an insane story. I can't wait to uh, talk to him. He was just on Bigger Pockets as well. Sam, welcome. Awesome. I appreciate that very nice intro. I will try to follow that up and uh, and make you proud. Oh, man, you're like such an inspiration to us, dude. I'm, I've been following your stuff. I'm like, we thought, you know, we were doing good when we bought like 30 units. And then you, I saw your post and I'm like, you know what? I should just go home. It's, oh, it's- stop it. You guys are doing great. Uh, uh, yeah. 30 unit. That's impressive. If you own more than one house, you own more than 99% of people. So you're, you're doing just fine. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. Hey, Sam. So, uh, so people will know, can you give a little bit of background about yourself? Do you have a story where your dad is, you know, Trump and you came up with the $70 million under your blanket and you're like, yeah, this is easy for me to do. Yeah, exactly. So my parents gave me a hundred million and I turned it into 40 million. So I lost it. No, I, um, I, I've kind of been uh, leaning into this a little bit recently. I'm, I'm as normal as it gets grew up in the Midwest, you know, middle-ish class, middle, lower half of middle class. My dad was an engineer. My mom was a teacher, you know, went to college, was doing the whole thing that everybody tells you to do, go to college and get a job and work for somebody else until you're 65 and collect social security, which won't be around by the time I'm 65. And, you know, that that's what you should do with your life. So I was down that path, that normal path and, you know, had a job out of, out of school, out of college and started to invest in real estate on the side with my buddy, Lucas, kind of dipped our toes in the water uh, and then started basically that in 2015 and then did a few deals. And then 2018, we quit our jobs, went full-time into real estate and fast forward to today, which we can obviously fill in those gaps if y'all would like. But currently we're sitting at a $40 million rental portfolio, not 50. So we own 40 million in real estate that we bought without using any of our own money. Uh, we have a flipping company here in St. Louis that's going to flip and wholesale about 300 houses this year. Um, so we're actively investing in the single family, the multifamily, and the uh, and the um, self storage space. So we're just uh, we're just in growth mode to the max right now and having a lot of fun doing it. That's an insane uh, intro. Uh, you know, actually, uh, uh, Drew is from Kansas, and I actually went to Wichita State in Kansas as well. So very uh, Midwest friendly crowd today. There um, you go. I like it. I appreciate it. We got to stick together. We're Midwesterners. We're not the most exciting, but dang it, we're good peoples. Yeah, I, I like the I like the Midwest, man, because it's uh, you can get still get cash flow. It's, it doesn't follow the ups and downs like a crazy recession and a you know growth market. So I like that it's more stable growth. You know, so you you primarily invest there, right? Yep, all, all in St. Louis, and you hit the nail on the head. It's it's you don't get the huge you know upswings or you don't get the huge downswings either. So I think in in two thousand eight to twelve, I think St. Louis dipped about you know thirteen fourteen percent. So we didn't get the crazy swings of the of the rest of the country. So we don't get the crazy upside, but we're pretty steady. You can cash flow. You can still get appreciation. You know, it's a very 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 solid market for rental properties for sure. So if I got that right, your whole portfolio is in St. Louis. Yep. Every, everything we own in St. Louis, our apartments, our single families and our self-storage, or I guess the St. Louis metro area on the Missouri side. And then also, you know, uh, we have our, our house flipping company and that's all in St. Louis as well. So we're, we're, we're local for sure. So how are you, how are you going from zero to 40 million in what was it? Five years. How does that happen? Walk us so, through yeah. that. Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing we've done is leverage debt properly. You know, there's a lot of people that are afraid of debt and that that's understandable, but the only way to do something like we've done or part of what we've done or more than what we've done is, is by properly leveraging debt. So that's where it starts is we, we leaned into using debt to buy cash producing assets that 
produce cash and grow in value. So, you know, if you're if you're using other people's money to, you know, have a safe, smart investment, then that's how you scale and grow quickly. So we started out with a single family house in 2015. Like I said, grew a little bit. I uh, made connections, did some wholesaling, some flipping. And then 2018, we quit our jobs when we had probably 25, 30 rentals at the time, probably worth maybe, maybe like, maybe like two and a half, three million. And then we, you know, had some connections for wholesaling and flipping for active income. And that's when we quit and went full time. And uh, then we really started to gain traction because we went from spending 10 hours a week on the side to building our rental portfolio and buying real estate to spending 60 hours a week, you know, focused on real estate. And that really showed with the traction we've had since then. And especially in the past 12 to 18 months. Hey, Sam, uh, so I wanted to ask you, um, you had a high paying job, right? Yeah, I did. Yep. I was, I was, when I quit my job, I was making about 250,000 in St. Louis. That's it's a lot of money anywhere, but in St. Louis, it, it, you know, goes pretty far. So I, I had a job that I actually, I would say loved it, but I liked it and I made good money on it for sure. Yeah. It was a little, little unique. So what gave, because I, I did listen to the one with um, you did on uh, bigger pockets. I know some of the guys I'm getting some of them on our podcast too. But uh, you said that it was very interesting. I think maybe Henry or someone asked you, you are not like the usual one where you wait for a certain amount to hit so you can actually cover your basis and then you quit because you were not making 250 in cash flow when you quit. So how did how did you get that kind of like uh, balls to kind of like do that? Like, I can't do that. Like that's 250k is a lot of money. Yeah, no, it is. So kind of what, what I, and I, I made less money than that uh, actual, you know, income to my pockets uh, for close to two years, a year and a half, two years, you know, I still did well enough to make it in St. Louis, but I didn't make quite as much as I had made. Um, and, you know, I was strategic about it. I don't know if it sounds like it or not, but I mean, I, we weren't making it that near that much from our rentals and, and we still, don't touch our rentals income at all. It's more about feeding that business and keeping that business afloat. But what I did do was I had systems and processes and connections set up to replace most of that $250,000 with wholesales and flips. Our, our goal is let's find a super distressed house, a super distressed property, and then get it under contract at a really good price. And then what makes most sense? Should we keep this as a rental? Should we wholesale it, make a quick 15, 20 grand? Should we try to rehab it, make 30 to 40 grand? So uh, we were just finding distressed properties and had enough systems and funnels and connections made to feel comfortable that we were going to continue to get those even after I quit my job. And that's where the active income came from. But you didn't have that active income when you quit your job? A little bit. Probably we probably were wholesaling a handful of houses a year and, you know, rehabbing maybe two or three houses a year. But we were doing it on the side, weren't super efficient with it. You know, we had lost some money on a couple of deals. So the, the year before, I think, you know, we had made uh, like a uh, hundred ish grand in, in our companies combined before, before we quit. But I just knew that if I had the time and energy to focus on, you know, just getting better and more efficient and doing more that it would eventually get back to where I was, where I was making yeah, I remember that you talked about that you had like a PowerPoint presentation uh, you did to your wife, right, to get her on board and stuff. That was kind yeah, of I had a, I had a couple of them because she was, you know, rightfully so. I didn't communicate. I thought this is a good investment. I'm just going to do it, and that wasn't the right way to go about it. So, you know, we were going on evenings and weekends, and while I had a full time job, didn't have any kids at the time, you know. And she's like, "Why are you doing this? Why are you spending all this time and energy out?" on the weekends and evenings when you got a job that is paying you well, that you enjoy, like, you know, you're, you're doing all this and you don't need to be doing it. So that was a uh, point taken. So there, from then on, I started to do about monthly ish PowerPoint presentations for her explaining, you know, where we were in the business, how many properties we owned, what they were worth, what they were going to be worth, kind of what the plan was and just included her in on my crazy ideas and plans. Cause at that time, I don't even think that was probably 2016 or 17. My goal wasn't even to quit anytime mm -hmm. soon. So it was just uh, getting your significant other on page uh, is probably a good thing to do. And if PowerPoints are what it takes, that's what it takes. Yeah, that's that's hilarious, dude. That's that's cool that you you, you got it done uh, sooner than you know later. So I want to ask you. So that you convinced your wife, you know, by doing all the PowerPoint. So how did you convince yourself? I, um, did you read Rich Dad Poor Dad and you just went crazy? Or 
Yeah, I think I, you know, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in like 2011, 12 timeframe and started to think about it. You know, it wasn't anything I rushed rushed into uh, my business partner who owns everything I'll talk about here today with me, Lucas. We had met a couple of times, you know, we'd known each other for a few years. We had businesses together, like, you know, we had a painting business in college where we painted, uh, you know, houses and decks and fences. We we tried to be bookies for a while and and collect bets from our friends. We we always tried to do things on the side to kind of have fun with it, spend time together and, you know, grow a business and try to make money. So we always had plans to kind of do that. We each had full-time jobs. He, you know, moved after college to Kansas City. I was in St. Louis. So we, we didn't really start anything up yet. But then when he moved back to St. Louis, it was kind of his idea, hey, let's give this a shot. I was pretty hesitant because of my job and income and freedom. I was pretty hesitant to, uh, you know, kind of freedom. I, I, you know, was in sales and sales management, so I didn't have to, you know, report to one office every day and clock in and clock out. But um, it was kind of his, him that pushed us along to, hey, let's give this a shot and let's try this on the side. Even if we buy 10 houses, you know, in 25 years, they're going to be worth, you know, three, four million, we'll owe nothing on them. And we can, you know, we take a couple million and move on. So that was kind of the original plan. But then as we got into it, we enjoyed the challenge, the struggle, you know, the competitiveness of, you know, doing deals, finding deals, maximizing them, negotiating, all that kind of stuff kind of started to feed a little bit more of that uh, competitiveness that I think I lost, you know, not playing sports in college or after college. So uh, yeah, it was just kind of one of those things where it was uh, just all seemed to make sense. And I knew that if things went well, the uh, possibilities were a hundred times what I was what I was doing in my current job. So I was willing to take that risk. That's cool, man. I actually wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that because your story. So you're very good friends with Lucas, right? Yes. He's like one of your best mates. Mm -hmm, for then, sure. I don't know if I, uh, did you have like YouTube videos back in the day where you were like in a, a apartment and you're doing like funny things and you will say like, you know, and you'll explain like, this is what you're going to do. I feel like I've seen it. Uh, yeah, maybe. So maybe, so we, you know, I started the YouTube, I started Faster Freedom, you know, same Faster Freedom YouTube in, in 2020, same mm -hmm. with the TikTok and Instagram. So I kind of started all the social medias then. What we did before that was we, you know, did some Facebook stuff where we would talk, we were in apartments and we, we kind of got some traction there. Like locally, we would just post on what we were doing and we'd have high school and college buddies reach out. I didn't know you were into real estate. You've got, you know, 10 rentals and you just bought that apartment. That's really cool. That's awesome. I'd love to get in that space. And we started to get some momentum there and just kind of stem the idea of, Hey, Lucas and I were both focusing on the flipping company and both focusing on rentals, what if we divided and conquered? You focused on the flipping and I, you know, just let you run with that. Uh, obviously trust you, you know, you do whatever you want. I'm going to focus 100% of my efforts on this social media slash education company. And that that's what we did. And that that's what's kind of has helped with the growth of the education that I'm doing. And the online social media stuff is I've been able to focus on that a lot mm -hmm. while my income was taken care of with the other companies and rentals that we had created. Yeah, this is super cool. I want to break this down because your story is very similar to uh, Drew and mine because Drew is one of my best friends, right? And then we own all of it 50-50. And then, you know, he does a little bit of the short-term rental. He's He's got a music school and he does. So he's more management intensive. And I'm kind of like on online on podcasts and doing a little bit raising capital kind of deal. So, um, you know, a lot of people will say, hey, Sam, like, you know, you're, you're doing this with Lucas, you're splitting everything with him. Why, why do you need that? I mean, you're giving away half your stuff. What do you tell to those guys? And like, how, how do you um, respond to that? Yeah, I think that that's just the wrong way to approach things. If people are trying to, you know, squeeze every dollar and get 100% of this or that, you might get a little more in the short term, but long term, you're not going to be able to create is what you can create. And you're not going to have the right mindset about it because for the past two years, the education company hasn't made very much money. I would be out of a job, you know, had this been my only income. So he's kind of footed the bill for my active income and, you know, my family and, and, you know, expenses and everything with the company that I obviously helped grow and was in charge of sales and marketing when I was over there. But, you know, it's just a way to grow. If I'm going to try to keep hundred percent of everything, I only have limited amount of time. You talk, you just said you, you know, you have rentals and you raise money. So you leverage money. You need to leverage your time and leverage other people. If you want to grow, you know, if I want to, our goal is to bring an MBA team to St. Louis. Our goal is to own a billion dollars in real estate. Our goal next year is to start an investment company that's going to buy other companies and invest in equities and things like that. I don't have enough time to grow all that and crush it. So you got to have people you trust 
you know, whether it be give up ownership or just give up profit, if you really want to expand and grow and create massive things that we want to create, you got to bring in other people and you got to pay them well, or, or, you know, in Luke's and I's case, split ownership. So it's just a mindset thing that uh, there's enough out there for everybody. I'm not trying to count every half percent point on, you know, ownership. We're all going to get there and we'll get there together. And how does that change? So let's say um, you're doing uh, the education company and he's doing flipping. And then let's say in two years, he's making 50,000 flips a year and you you sold one video and made $7. So are you going to take half of his flips and like, and you give him 350? Like how does that work? Yeah, that's how it would work. Yeah. yeah um, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Those are, you know, obviously pretty extreme examples. Yeah, yeah obviously. But, yeah. but yeah, I mean, we would make adjustments as things, you know, went along. But um, last year uh, in 2021, I've made pretty good money from, you know, a lot of uh, his company's efforts. And the flipping company has 20, uh, 20 team members. So it's a big company. Um, and then this year, the flipping company is doing fine, but education is done really, really well. And, you know, we're picking up the lion's share. So I just feel like if we do things the right way and communicate, and if the education, if I sold one video for $750, I'd shut that down and I'd go back to flipping houses with them or I'd start another company. So I, I feel like, you know, subconsciously we are going to be giving and have given new companies a year or a year and a half to make it or break it. If not, then we'll move on to something else. So it's, it's, it's worked out so far. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's, um, yeah, it looks like you have a, a really good relationship. And that's really what matters. You know, people ask us all the time too, like, why are you guys doing this together? You could do this and, you know, Drew can do something else and stuff. But it doesn't make sense in my brain, you know, like, I'm like, I don't really care. So I, I kind of think of it like a family part. So I, I kind of think like our company is owned by Drew's family and my family, kind of, right? So we don't have kids and stuff. So it's kind of just going back to the family. So it's kind of interesting. Now we we do raise capital and we give away equity in the, the deals we do a lot of the time. Like we're actually doing a, a, a three family thing in Orange County. It's going to be about 800. And then half of it goes to my sister for bringing the capital. And then Drew and I keep the other half. Now yours is interesting because you don't structure using uh, equity. You do debt structuring, which means you keep 100% of the equity after you pay them back, right? Is that how you do it? Yeah, so we've done it a few different ways on our on our single families. Yeah, they're in and out. They're the BERS process, BERS method. But on the multis, the little bigger deals, we've done it a few different ways. We've done it where we've given up, you know, ownership of the actual LLC that owns the asset. And, you know, after a few years, refinance and pay them back and take their, you know, doing just an amendment to the operating agreement and, and pull out that ownership percentage of the lender. We've done just pref interest. You know, you get... 7% annualized, you know, monthly or quarterly payments. And then on the back end, we'll refinance or sell the property and get you, you know, your other, you know, seven to 8% to try to get you to that 12 to 14, 15% return. So our goal is to give our private lenders that 12 to 14% return, um, whether that be making them part owners of the asset or making them just preferential, um, you know, interest interest payments and then you know buying them out their full principal so it's it's kind of a hybrid way to look at it it's like a hybrid it's not syndication by any means we you know we own it it's kind of like a hybrid private lender syndication type model that we've we've been tinkering with you know we've done it six times to get our six apartments that we've got uh, 129 units i think so and we and we did the same thing with some self storage facilities that we bought so we like it it's a good return for our investor and we kind of take it deal by deal basis whether we give up ownership or not but the whole goal is in 2 to 3 years for us to own 100% and have no debt besides bank debt on the property and then you know own it for the next 20 years and let it do what it do yeah, that's awesome. Before I I I want to um, chop down your um, uh, multifamily stuff because that's what I'm trying to do. And Drew's focusing more on the short-term rentals with our company. Uh, Drew, did you have any questions before I move on to the multifamily stuff? Uh, you know what? I'll I'll save it because I actually did want to ask him about you know if you've got any short-term rentals in your portfolio. So you can ask him. Yeah. Yeah, we can go there now. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious because I'm just getting really into that. I'm just deep diving. I'm trying to inject a lot of cash flow in our portfolio. I like to say we're asset rich, comparatively very cash poor, you know, we're fine, but it's like, you know, for me, it's not good enough as a business owner. I want to see that revenue. I know the equity's building. I, I get it, but I got to see like generous cash flow or I get mad. So do you have anything like that? Do you have any short-term rentals? Uh, we do. We just started that just literally like uh, a month ago. 
So it's um, a newer deal for us. Uh, I think we'll probably get into the space, you know, as far as like, you know, buying a beach house or a place in the mountains, you know, your prototypical, you know, STR short-term rental. Um, but we just dipped our toe in the water recently. We have a, we have a 27 unit apartment complex in a pretty nice part of the city. And we had kind of a funky unit in there that was having issues renting. So we, we turned it into, it's a three-story unit loft. We turned it into a uh, Airbnb. So, you know, we decked it out and spent about 20 grand on furniture and themed the rooms out. And, you know, so we're trying experimenting with taking a, an apartment and, you know, Airbnb certain units of that to inject cash flow into an apartment that, you know, is an A-class apartment that cash flow is not crazy high, but it, uh, uh, kind of a way to dip our toes in the water. So we're definitely not deep in that game by any means. I think eventually we'll probably start to own, you know, several of uh, um, short-term rentals, but I think it's a great option for people in certain areas that, uh, you know, the long-term stuff doesn't work. And it's obviously, like you said, it's a great injection of cash flow. Yeah, I was actually just in a meetup yesterday with a really top, top guy who uh, he's got a couple of short terminals in Branson that he's, yep. he swears by. I mean, see, it's just south of where you're at. So, you know, think about dipping your toe in a, in a good old Branson, Missouri. Growing up in Kansas, that was like, that was like our trip to Disneyland. Yeah, know? I was going to say, yeah, Disneyland or like old people Vegas or something. But yeah, yeah it's a totally. Branson. Yeah, totally. it's not a bad place. That's the cool thing about short-term rentals. It doesn't have to be on the beach in California or Florida or in the, in the Smokies. It can be in like a, you know, a Branson type area, or I know a lot of people that have uh, short-term rentals in St. Louis and, you know, some areas of St. Louis that are, you know, a little more attractive for, you know, activities and events and such. So yeah, that, that's a cool, cool thing to get into. I wish we got into a few years ago, but everything else is scaling, grown so quickly that's kind of been pushed to the, to the side burners for a while, but we're, we're going to focus a little bit on it here this year and next year. It, it, with with your level of expansion and growth, there's just no way to do it without teams on teams. What advice would you give us and the listeners on just like how you interview people, how you find the teams? What's that process like for you guys? That's always the hardest part. It's all people, you know? Yeah, for sure. I love this question. This kind of piggies back off a little bit. We were talking about earlier. You know, you and Lucas, why could you do it on, you could do it by yourself while you're doing it together. Well, um, you know, we, we couldn't do it by myself. Lucas, you know, works, you know, a ton of time on what he does. I work a ton of time on what I do. I He's operations and finance and, you know, systems and processes. I'm, you know, going, raising money and negotiating and finding deals and getting my face all over. So I couldn't do it without him and he couldn't do it without me. So it's not like I could just plug him out of it and still have the same amount of success. It's almost like probably you guys, one plus one equals three, if you look at it the right way. So as far as, you know, building teams, you know, we have a I think we're right a little over 30 team members on, on our companies that we own on our uh, flipping company, our property management companies, you know, and the education company. So we're, we're starting to grow and the goal is a hundred employees. You know, we, we like to create impact in the community and we don't like to do that by outsourcing everything and not hiring people and, you know, trying to get something done for $15 an hour um, virtually that we could do for $20 an hour, you know, in-house. So our goal is to grow a team and create wealth and have every one of our team members become millionaires through real estate. So that type of attitude tends to attract really high quality people that are stuck in that corporate grind that are with just numbers on a spreadsheet. So just that attitude that we truly have, um, you know, we, our property management team manages for people in-house. We don't for people outside of, outside of the company. And, you know, we'll, we'll lend to people if we need to on our team, we'll show them how to do deals. We'll, we'll try to get them, involved and we're uh soon going to be rolling out a way for them to take payroll deductions to invest in a large apartments with us yeah they'll have very very small percentage but if we payroll deduct for a while and they, that stacks up into some account and then we use a little bit of it for an apartment it's just more paperwork and a little bit of a pain for us but it's a way for them to invest in real estate when they don't want to or know how so that type of attitude as well as the connections we've made i'd say 70 percent of our employees have came from our meetup we host a local meetup in st louis people come we hang out uh you know we have two to three hundred people show up every month we you know have a few drinks after get to know people and as openings come up we talk about it and we just naturally connect with someone that we think we know knows real estate and that we've you know had several conversations with tito's in our 
our bellies, you know, you get to know people a little bit better. So that's a majority of our hires have come from just the mindset that we have that people know we have through social media, as well as our meetups. And then also, um, you know, just connecting with people on a, on a basis and, you know, culture comes first, we can teach you any skill or help train you in any skill or hire out training for any skill, but we need to make sure you're the right cultural fit. And those, I think, combined things have really, uh, been well for us i don't think last three years we've had one person leave voluntarily so i love that that's so not the answer i was expecting but it's such a good answer i hope that anyone listening is taking notes that's great i like that culture first employment later kind of thing i totally butchered that but i that there's a there's a nugget right there which is really nice man that's really interesting that definitely you know reminds me we need to get our meetups back up we have uh taken a two-month hiatus from that just being busy with deals and growth and on our own thing but that's a really great point some of our um some of our team members some of our partners and our deals have come from these meetups as well and i love that you're bringing those people in they're already interested they're already thinking about they're already passionate about it and then if it just makes total sense. That's really interesting. And people then the before team. profit. People, people before profit. Totally. Yes. That's a that's a and great you make quote. more profit when you do that. The more you're willing to give, the more you're literally willing to help people out and you, you know, pay people well, you know, pay somebody 125 grand when you could probably get the role done for a hundred. Well, you're gonna our experience with the right culture and low overhead, low turnover, you're gonna make more money um in the long run. So it's just wow. uh a mindset thing for us that has really played out well to up to this point. I love it. Love it. Now, uh, I think that was the title of a book, uh, people over profit or something. I haven't read it yet myself, but I tend to do that as well with my companies and with, even with, with our company, with Onvi, I try to take care of people as much as I can. Um, are there any recommended like reading kind of any, any material that you're like, this book was the one that really helped me to just, do that, change this, go next level. Yeah, for sure. We love reading books and we've, we have team meetings, which uh, we got from the book Traction uh, by Gina Wickman's an amazing book for small companies. It gives you an operational type system to run your meetings and to run your culture and to, you know, have a structured way to run a small business because small businesses don't have, you know, these huge budgets to have people that, you know, playing meetings for you and, you know, all this overhead. So uh, Traction by Gina Wickman helped us really structure things. And, you know, part of that is weekly meetings with our teams and we've read books books, you know, to lead into that. We like a book report. Let's all read a chapter of this chapter this week. And let's talk about like a little book club so we can all be on the same page through the things we talk about. So attraction uh, was one of them we've all read and that's how we operate. Uh, the Advantage by Patrick Lencioni is all about um, having the right people in the right seats. You know, they have the capacity to do it. They have the want to do it and they have desire to do it. Um, we've read that one. Um, and then Good to Great, uh, Good to Great by um, Jim Collins is an, a really, really awesome one for me that you know, really just talks about companies that went from good to great for an extended period of time and why they did that and having the right leaders and having the right people on the right bus. So those would be the three, I would say that are entertaining reads as well as actionable, you know, content in them for any type of business, whether it be two or three or four or more employees. That's great. Vince, you got anything, my man? I'm, I'm, I'm going to read all of those books. I haven't read uh, those other two traction was a game changer for sure. But those other two are I've not, it's interesting that you gave us non real estate books. So those are just like more like operations, running a business, managing people. That's yeah. I don't think there's one way to do real estate. Uh, Drew, I almost called you Andrew, but Drew, there's only, I don't think there's one way to do it. I think it changes system change. Each state's different. Cities are different. You know, I get my real estate knowledge from doing it and listening to podcasts and, you know, checking out active things, but you know, the mindset, the business, the, how to set things up to sustain long-term. Yeah. Those are, those are not real estate related at all, but yeah, that is a great observation. Yeah. They're not real estate books. Cause uh, you know, there's so many different ways to do it, but I feel like there's only a few successful ways to um, you know, run the companies the way that we want to and have the culture that we want. There's not a hundred different ways to do that as there right. is a hundred different ways to buy a property. And I think that's part of what's good about what Vince and I have, if we can just kind of talk about us for a sec, <laughs> um, is I'm obsessed with like documentaries and books about business and Carnegie and like operations and how to but just take with the 1% better, all that stuff. I'm always reading something, especially business oriented. Although I've read quite a handful of real estate books as well, 
it's interesting as Vince is completely on the opposite end. He's obsessive about his like real estate knowledge. He's constantly watching videos and reading books. He's got all the books. And uh, it's interesting how that kind of works out as a team in that I'm obsessed with the operations and business side, scaling and growth. And he's obviously really into scaling and growth, but he's really more in the acquisitions. He's like, he's in, he's in the game hard all the time trying to make deals right now. We're trying to get a, you know, 12 to 20 unit something, you know, everything that we have is triplex duplexes, which is great. You know, it'll, it'll set us up for life. I'm not, I'm not mad about it. Um, but it's been a bit tricky and frustrating for Vince um, to just kind of even enter that ring and, and get any kind of anything without bleeding like crazy for the first couple of years. Uh, Vince, do you want to kind of take that baton and carry that with it? Do you have any questions on multifamily going bigger? Oh, I have like a bunch of questions. So yeah, go ahead. What's that Sam? I was going to say he, you guys are, he's, the yin to your yang, you guys are very cute. Um, oh, yeah. It's same with Luke's and I, like the exact same thing. You get just focus on different um, divide and conquer is what I call it. But yeah, that I'd love to dig in uh, into a little bit of your multifamilies because I feel like we probably were where you were a couple of years ago. I think from 2019, 2018-ish to 2020, we probably looked at 50 different deals that didn't buy one. And then in the past 12 months, we bought four apartment complexes, you know, uh, bought over $20 million worth of real estate in the past year-ish. Um, and we got a $18 million deal we're looking at right now. So um, we kind of did hit a point of, you know, traction, I guess, to hit on Gino Wickman's book. Um, so we can get into that if that's kind of what you're struggling with a little bit. And I think a lot of people are. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, yeah. So I like this podcast because I like to help people understand like what we're doing and it helps them too. So one of the things is, I wanted to hit was, um, I'll give a little bit of background on what I'm doing and then people can relate to it and then uh, learn from you too, is um, I wanted to, uh, so right now, you know, anybody can buy one house, right? But the second house is tough and then, then, then it gets really, you know, interesting. Now we have over 30, 35 houses. It's fine. Like it's, it's, we're not, we're not like not doing anything, Right. But the, the, the struggle for me is I'm getting bored buying these two to three flex houses. And I keep telling Drew every month, bro, this is it. I'm not doing another duplex. We literally are in contract yesterday <laughs> to buy another triplex. Like, but it's like, <laughs> it's a very uniquely like, yes, it's a very advantageous property that if we didn't buy it. I know I would think about it at night and be so mad at myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I looked at the deal. I walked the property. I did the numbers. I'm like, it's a no brainer. We have to do this deal because we we are very niched into this and we will pick up all the deals like because we know what we're doing and we'll make like in this deal, we, we make it, we made an offer and then it says on day one, $5,000. It's not uh, non-refundable EMD. It gets released to the seller. It's just gone. So it's like, who is going to compete with this? And then 10 days later, we'll release, we'll keep releasing $5,000 while it's in escrow to the seller. So we know we're going to get the deal. So we obviously got the deal because nobody is a moron to make these kind of deals. Like this is how we make deals, like just insane, just giving the money. And then we don't care as long as the numbers work. And then I don't have to deal with management because dude does all of the short-term stuff. There's actually a short-term behind my house, which almost pays for more than half of my mortgage. And the house is a million dollars. It's crazy, right? So my, my thing is, so I want to go into multifamily and I want to ask you your question first. You, you had some single families and then you did a couple of flips. How did you buy that first 12 unit complex? Like, or, or whatever it was, 20 unit. Yeah, so our first one we got was actually um, listed. It was in, 2000, in 2015, it was a nine unit we got. So we have a nine unit, just for reference, a nine unit, a 12 unit, a 32, a 27, a 29, and a 19. So we, you know, they're not ginormous. They're that mid to lower size. Um, and as we've bought more, there have been much higher quality as far as the assets go and, and the locations of them. But I think two of them have been listed on the MLS that we just happened to get and negotiate down. The others have been come through brokerage. So we, you know, we had, we focused, like I said, we were, we were dry there for a while, not buying any deals when we really, really wanted to, 
we stuck to our guns, but we just were so busy with, I was starting this education. Luke was kind of scale the, the flipping that we didn't spend enough time building the relationships. And, you know, three of the last four apartments we bought have come from one broker. He's brought them to us first before he shopped them to anybody else with the commercial space. There's a lot less rules, you know, in the residential to get a listing, the broker's got to see it. It's got to go on them, you know, with, with the commercial space and the co-star, they kind of can do what they want and show it to people before it they show it to everybody kind of thing so it really is a relationship game so we develop relationships with a few different brokers and now we have a reputation that we're willing to pay a fair price uh, we want a little bit of a discount we want some upside whether it be on rubs or on you know actual fixing up the units or just raising rent um but if that all plays you know we're going to take it down and we're gonna we're gonna perform on our offer um so you know i think it's just you know not the most tactical you know xo answer but it's just been developing relationships with brokers and like you know wholesalers you that everybody does for single families or for you know smaller multis you just got to find the brokers that are doing the bigger deals and befriend them and get to know them and take them out to lunch and drinks and um whatever it is and just you know have them give you a shot of the deal and then once you get that shot you gotta you gotta hit it and then you'll start to just kind of get a snowball effect yeah man that's right so 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 i did go to a few of like rod cleaves uh, conference and then i went to jake and gino i developed some relationship drew came to one of them i believe and then so i am trying to concentrate in tampa right now and then i do have a team there like a boots on the ground guy he's part of a mastermind so he's he's good he's an ex-army guy so he's a really nice guy bob uh, if you're watching what's up um so he he is actually the he's he lives in Tampa so I am I'm developing relationships with uh with the broker and uh, he now takes it seriously because the market is a little bit shifting so we did make LOI and they did accept one of them but after we walked the property you know there's there's no cash flow dude it's like bad like it's like I'm looking at sub five camp rates and I am such a nerd. Like I know all the stuff, like DSC, all and NOI. I'm like, I'm doing the math while I'm looking at the pictures. I'm already done all the math. And I'm like, I'm going to lose money in two years. Like this is not going to work out. So right now it seems really tough, but the market is softening a little bit. So there is some room because of the, you know, the interest that's going up. There is some leverage. Uh, I can get stuff, but how are you getting them? Like there's, there's no, there's not a lot of meat on the bone. Yeah, I think a part of it is just the right, you know, making the connections with the right people in the right place. But I think there is going to be more deals coming. We've already seen them. We've already turned a few down. We've got more deals thrown at us in the past six months than the past probably two years um, combined. So there are going to, in my opinion, there are going to be more deals start to pop up. And I think the pricing, like you said, it's a little skinny right now. I don't think the sellers are used or they're not running the higher interest rates, you know, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they're, they're shopping prices, you know, of their properties are, you know, assuming you're going to get 4% on your money. And that's just not the case right now. You're going to get between five and six. So I think the things being shopped are a little bit overpriced. I think the people that are shopping them and the brokers have not quite adjusted to the fact that Hey, the price has got to go down if the cost of money is higher. So um, I think there's going to be more deals that pop up and you just got to stick to your numbers and, and offer what makes sense. And, you know, we've had a couple that we've said, you know, this is where we're at. They've asked for final and best. And we say, we already gave you our final and best. And a couple of days later, you know, we're, we're continuing the conversation because, you know, we know what the numbers are and know the cost of money, what it's going to be. So um, I, I agree with you. I think the, the market's softening and I do think that it's going to bring more opportunities. You just got to get the right sellers that understand all the numbers and, you know, not have a broker. I feel like the last couple of our deals that we've turned down have been a broker's gone to a seller and been like, you know, I can get you this for your property. They're like, no freaking way. They're like, just wait, I've been doing it the last couple of years. Let me list it at this price. I'll get you that number. And the guy's like, might as well, because there's no way I thought I could sell it for that. And then they can't, because like I said, the cost of money has gone up a little bit. So we're in a little bit of a funky time, but I mean, you'll be fine, especially if you stick to your numbers. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you. So have, we might lose ninety percent of the audience right now. <laughs> it's uh, so our underwriting question. So are you basing your numbers offer price based on pro forma cap, pro forma NOI? Are you doing in place? Because there's a big difference when you're buying the deal. The DSCR is based on in place numbers, and then the only way to make this work is I gotta pay 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 percent down because the rents are super low, and then the the buyer wants to sell it at pro forma cap rates, right? So how are we doing that? 
Yeah. So we, so Luke's, Luke's my, uh, my um, underwriting dude, uh, which I mean, I can, we can get into this, but he's the one that has a spreadsheet we created. He cranks, crunches the numbers. We look at them, we go back and forth and we decide, Hey, let's try to get it for this. And then I go in and try to get it for that, you know, offer less to play the negotiation games that I do. Um, but we do what you're not supposed to do, which is, you know, buy a little bit on the pro forma. You know, we're not going to put 40% down to make the DSCR hit, but we've developed relationships with private lenders that we can maybe pay less percentage at first, you know, do, you know, pay them a much, much smaller percentage over the first year. Then after that, we step it up to get them their return after we turn cash flow in. Um, you know, we've you d- d- developed relationships with banks that will, you know, be a little more flexible on that, you know, 1.25 or whatever DSCR that people are looking for. So, you know, a lot of people say buy on house performing now, the future's not guaranteed, but we've been able to get a few deals, you know, overpaying for the current, you know, cap rate or production of the building, knowing and trusting ourselves and our systems that within six to 12 months, we're going to, you know, get this thing performing like a, like a top. And then, you know, we're, we'll have a eight cap, you know, property in a, in a six cap area. So we do a little bit of what you said, you know, buying a little bit, probably higher than we should based on the current, uh, you know, how the building's performing, but we just know and have confidence that we'll be able to get it performing quickly. So then it turns into 1.3, 1.4 DSCR kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, that's what everybody's doing, Sam. It's not just you. Everybody's buying on uh, pro forma caps. Hey, just so that people understand, let's just break it down. So what we're talking about is when you go into units which are more than four, which is five units plus, the game totally changes and you cannot just do DTIs and, you know, oh, you know, I make this much money. Nobody cares. They want to look at the property as a business. So what the lenders look at is the lenders want you to have a debt service coverage ratio of 25 points over or 0.25 over what the, the loan payment is. <laughs> so they're going to look at your NOI and the NOI has got to be if it, your, your payment is $100, you need to have $125 of NOI come in, not income, NOI. So that's going to be like a profit of that much. So if the current uh, property is is collecting less rents, you're not going to see that number. So in order to make that work, you can't do a 3% down or 5% down like, uh, like regular, uh, you know, one to four units. So you have to put 25, 30, 40% down. So when you're talking of on a, I'm trying to buy a $2 million deal, I'm talking about $800,000 in down payment. So the game gets uh, interesting, more interesting. That's why I like it, right? So I'm talking to people like Sam and he's buying like, oh, $4 million deal losers. He's looking at $18 million deals because oh, he's stop it. We haven't bought that. I don't know if we'll be able to pull it off. You're going to, yeah. what's the biggest number you got like for the deal size? Uh, a little over 5 million has been our biggest one up to this point. Yeah. Our, our biggest deal is 1.1 million and that's my house. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, no, we, we, we haven't done anything close to it. Uh, what's the biggest deal we've done? I think, I think this is it, right? 800,000, something like that. You're muted, Drew. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. This is the one, the one that's in. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a big jump for us to just go from 800 to 2 million because, you know, 800, you could do 10% down, you know, second home. Okay, great. hundred grand. We're done. Same, same thing. Multifamily 2 million. Oh, I got, I need 900,000 in cash in a suitcase. Like what, what happened? So really what is that? I said more zeros. More zeros, right? But it's it's interesting. So so I just wanted people to know like uh, what what the different kind of uh, you know um, things that are that are going on and um, and then Sam talk to us a little bit about how important it is. You know I hear this a lot and I want people to understand this is really important, right? People always say, "Hey man, I'm waiting for the market to crash, bro. Once it crashes, I'm coming in hot." And then I'm like, "So let me get this straight." You can't do crap when the market's good. And then you're going to go to a market where Sam has 300 units or 100 units, and you're going to compete with Sam when you know nothing. Sam already has everything in place. He's ready to destroy your life. He's going to buy that property immediately. Uh, what do you talk to these guys? Like, how are these like waiting out? That's not going to work at all, right? Yeah, no, a thousand percent. I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's not a, you know, the old saying, it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. So, so many things go into that that you hit perfectly, you know, just in simple, in simple terms, you know, that if the market crashes, which 
I don't think it is. But if it shifts and dips and, you know, if it does crash and I'm wrong, yeah, banks aren't going to send, aren't going to lend to people that have never done a deal before. Wholesalers aren't going to bring deals to people that never performed before. Contractors are going to stick with the people that they've worked with in the past because when the market dips or if it ever crashes, people still buy. People still bought in 08, 9, 10. Like there's still, things don't stop. So in the worst ever, people still bought. So there's still deals out there. There's still reasons that people need to sell. So you're not going to be able to just invest in a tumultuous, I don't know, Drew quote that, tumultuous time. Um, if uh, if you've never done a deal before, you have to get the experience now and get the reps in now. So when things do happen, you can take advantage of it. So that's just an excuse for people, um, you know, you're not going to just be able to jump into it a and then and then be like you say you got to you got to learn you're not going to you know when things happen you're when things are shifting you got to have had experience so yeah people that wait for the market to crash if it crashes you know those are just people that are never going to invest and it is what it is it's you know i'd love them to be in it but if not there's more for us to buy so i, I pretty much just regurgitate what you said but i agree 100 percent no, that was, that was well said, man. Um, the other thing was I wanted to bring up was, you know, one is people are afraid to uh, get in the market. And the other one, let's say, let's say I'm starting off and uh, it's, it's, it relates to me too, because I've been working on multifamily for one year while Drew's just laughing and buying Airbnbs left and right. I have zero deals in one year. I spend at least three hours a day on this uh, running numbers, talking to brokers, zero dollars in profit. I've actually lost money by flying to Tampa and doing all these things, but I, I still think I'm close enough, right? So that's my position. But someone like a more regular person would maybe like, hey man, I'm trying to buy a duplex. The market's always hot. I can't, they're actually trying, but they can't seem to get in. What would What advice would you give them to kind of feel motivated and keep trying and maybe get their first deal? Yeah, I would say it's one of those things where it's easier for some than others. And some people have done luck, dumb luck. Some people create their own luck, but it takes time. There's the only person that's ever that I know that's ever failed in real estate is people that have given up. Nobody fails. And, and you know, because they actually failed, they failed because they gave up. You know, it, it's you're what you're doing and in getting into real estate. You're willing to take risk on yourself and you're willing to take a risk because you want to have more control and have a better life. Guess what? Being financially free, creating wealth, having a better life is not going to be easy. That's just the way the world is. So if you're going to do something extremely special, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to overcome things. You're going to be scared. Every single person that you know that's successful has been scared and has failed and has had you know a slow start. So you can't just look at where somebody is. You got to look at where they've been and where they started. And everybody that's successful did what you did. Whoever listening that's offered on four houses and haven't gotten one, guess what? Most people offer on 30. You just got to have the expectation that it takes time and special things that are generationally impactful and create wealth and create millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, or at least a few million dollars. That's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. So the fact that it's hard, the fact that you've failed, the fact that you haven't got a deal, the fact that you haven't got an apartment yet, just means you're closer to actually getting it because very few people just stumble into it. So the more you fail, the closer you are to actually succeeding. Yeah, man, that was, that was really well said. Do you got something to say? Fail forward, fail forward, man. That's everything, you know, that's why I tell everybody who, you know, wants to get involved in real estate. Obviously we have a podcast now. Everyone knows that we're doing all the stuff and they've seen it kind of grow pretty quickly, not as quickly as yours, but quick, uh, quick enough to catch some eyeballs. People are always like, hey, man, I want to get it. I want to start it. I want to get involved. How do I do it? And I just I always have to tell everybody because I'm an entrepreneur. That's in my blood. I love it. I was like, Listen, this is starting a new business. This is it's real estate, but it's a business. And inherently, you're going to get just smacked up and down. You have some learning, some what, is, what am I thinking? Growth pains, uh, learning pains. And we definitely even though. You know, we nerded out pretty hard in our first deal, the infamous Quincy triplex just ate us up. We bled super hard, paid for the mortgage for like six months, got like robbed by contractors. Like, <laughs> I'm driving three hours out to the 110 degree desert to go like help my stepdad build a fence. And uh, but I'm really glad we did it. And it, it, it the whole time it wasn't like I wasn't in a panic mode. I wasn't worried. I was just like, yeah, this is just business. It's just, it's a matter of pushing through, keeping going, because there's another side. I like to tell everybody, for whatever success that I built for myself, 
my secret is really simple. I just wake, whether it's a good day, bad day, I'm tired, I'm energetic, I'm happy, I'm sad. Every day I just keep waking up and pushing the ball forward. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you know, so in in relation to what we're doing, I think that's all it is, is just staying consistent. And I love talking to guys like you who are just doing it on another level and pushing that ball forward. And I got to, this is always kind of a fun question. Five years ago, what were you doing, Sam? Five years ago, I was working at a full-time job, um, being a sales manager for a Caterpillar construction equipment dealer, um, mm -hmm. managed about 15 people and yeah, had probably, you know, four, three, four million in, in real estate at the time, maybe 3 million. So nice. You were just getting started. Nice. And then where are you now? Uh, yeah, now we're like, we talked about sitting at 40 million in real estate, um, own uh, a flipping company that's going to flip over 300 houses this year, got a social media brand with about 2 million followers and got a, a nonprofit that we started last year. That's uh, a little over a year into it. And we raised almost a quarter million dollars. All our companies donate 2% of the profit. And then we do um, fundraisers and, uh, and we're helping to impact the community here in St. Louis uh, with mental health awareness. So doing a lot, uh, having fun doing amazing. it. I love that. I love that. It keeps coming back down to like helping people and culture. I really, really love that. You make more um, money doing that, my man. If you focus yeah. on that, you'll make more money. Yep. Focus on the, on taking care of people value. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm sure it was super easy and no mistakes were made and it's just your life is perfect right oh yeah for sure no yeah like you said we've had the our plenty fair share moments of screw ups and sweat and and blood and tears and all that fun stuff that but that's just part of the journey and that makes it more rewarding i i i you know you said a few really good things that uh, among a lot of other things, but, you know, just doing it, pushing that ball forward. Like that's what success is. Like, I don't know if I just realized it six months ago, or if I just started to, you know, like wrap my brain around it as I talk about the stuff on podcasts and social media, but literally success is doing the same thing over and over again and convincing yourself you're not special. The fact that you haven't bought an apartment yet, 90% of people events are going to quit. So the fact that you're not going to quit means you're going to be successful. That's what it, that's all of it is. It's not making the right connection. It's not finding the right person or finding money in your pocket or finding the right deal. It's just continuing to push forward, which I think should be encouraging anybody, no matter what you're doing, as long as you're just okay with, you know, having mediocre, mediocre, you know, non huge results right away. If you're, if you're okay with just not having that immediate gratification, you will be successful. Um, and then, you know, treating it like a business is the other thing I wanted to say. People always ask me, should I start a LLC or not? And I always say yes, for the sole purpose of you're going to be a business owner, you're going to create a logo, you're going to get business cards that say owner on them, and you're going to look at it as a business and not just a side hustle. You know, the legalities of LLCs and all that stuff is important, the financing, the uh, bank accounts, but just the fact that you started an LLC and you are now a small business owner and you're going to make logos and you're going to create business cards and you're going to go on Vistaprint and spend $30 on business cards you'll never give away, but it's just a uh, part of the mindset of it. That's awesome, man. Hey, man, I know we have to go soon. I, I wanted a, a quick um, final questions is, you know, um, so something I like to do, and I'm, I'm going to ask you your perspective too, is I, I, I'm on the, I know I'm on the delusionally crazy ambitious guy. I, I get it. Um, so how I set up my life is I want to only spend time with people who are actually have similar visions. So in fact, I, I, one of the most successful people I know that in my regular life is Drew, right? And I tell him he's a loser, like all the time. I'm like, dude, you're like, you're not doing enough. And he's like, bro, I'm a, a millionaire. I don't understand. And I'm like, no, but you should be like a multi, like multi, multi-millionaire. And he's like, dude, you're crazy. So he's like doing things, you know, he plays guitar and does stuff. But I, tell me if it makes sense to just do crazy, just sit and do multi-family for the next six months just to achieve the goal would you do something like that and not go out and do anything is that is that a crazy dream or do you think that's reasonable no i think that's extremely reasonable and that i mean that's what you love that's what you know i get asked all the time what do you do for fun i love spending time with my family and i love creating businesses and growing wealth and struggling and growing something that impacts people that's it. I'm, I love golf, but don't have enough. You don't have time for it currently. I would love to go on more vacations, but I get so much joy out of spending time with my family and creating wealth through businesses. 
like literally it fills my cup up like beyond belief. So I just am fortunate enough that I'm crazy like you. I don't mind 70, 80 hours. I do well for myself, right? Um, mm -hmm. I have a pretty darn good net worth um, for being 34 years old. And uh, I'm not even close to where I want to be. I just want more. It's not like I'm ungratefully satisfied. I'm gratefully unsatisfied. Um, I just want more and want to impact more and create more. And I enjoy it so much. I enjoy um, you know, creating wealth and growing businesses and impacting other people positively and creating wealth with them and for them more than I enjoy golfing or bowling or being on the beach or getting, you know, drinking several Tito's or whatever it is that people do for fun. I enjoy that too, but I just happen to be a psychopath and enjoy um, working and grinding in 80 hours week, 80 hour weeks more than that other stuff. So I uh, think similar to you, I, I just enjoy doing that. Some people enjoy having more time and freedom and golfing and, you know, going on meditation walks and all that kind of stuff. And that's fine. That's just, I'm just going to be me. And I kind of used to shy away from making good money and, you know, still grinding, but I just like it. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to lean into it and just see where it takes me. That's awesome, man. Um, a couple of final questions uh, is um, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, like we talked about how, you know, the setting up a life that you want, right? Um, so, you know, we do things to set up our life, like, you know, like um, the meetups and the, the podcasting and, you know, networking and you, you, you're doing that. Um, um, and then for me, it's been a great blessing to have people that I trust a lot. Like, you know, Drew's one of them. Like if he call me tomorrow and be like, I need hundred grand tonight. If I have it, I'll just give it to him. I don't care, right? So I like to have that kind of trust to build with people. Like I will buy a deal with, my buddy and not not have me on title for a year just to see what will happen the, the amount of trust i build from that is insane like they will just literally now give me everything they have for rest of their life because who would buy a million dollar asset and not be on title for a year that is stupid almost right but i do that to get like the like the good people to have around and then um set up your life in a certain way so do you like do you do things uh, like that like you go looking for people like like really good people who have like good culture and then you know and then you you include them in your life and then you build a life with them like is that something you do yeah a thousand percent i mean i think seven of our team members are were really really good friends that we grew up with you know they say don't go into business with your friends or family well we're, we're doing the opposite of that we're doing something special why wouldn't we want to take the people we care about most up with us so yeah we do the same thing to surround ourselves with our friends or family and um you know do whatever it takes to help them create wealth whether it be loaning a money without a without a, a lien on it kind of like you said you know whatever it whatever it looks like as long as we're you know helping and you know i'm not i'm not worried about money or you know pinching pennies and worried about all that kind of stuff. I, there's, there's enough out there. The, the less I think about money, the more I make, uh, you know, just if I think more about people and helping, then, you know, you just, you have more money, you know, what to do with, honestly, I haven't had a budget, like a family budget in a long time. That's awesome, man. Drew, do you have any final uh, words before we ask how to, oh, actually, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned uh, educational company about um, um, you. So what is that? Are you teaching people how to flip, how to buy rentals or? Yeah, teach people how to buy rentals, uh, you know, using other people's money. I've just taken the methods that I've learned and, you know, I give away everything I pretty much can on social media, but you have limitations with, you know, connections and documents and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you have to be flashy and get their attention. So I created a mentorship that teaches people how to buy rentals um, using other people's money through, through what I've done. And, uh, you know, just created that about at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And, you know, we have over 650 students in it now and uh, just really helping people just we give them everything they need to know and we just kind of our guardrails to keep them in the, in the center lanes and keep them out of the ditches they grow their wealth so it's been really fun what does what does that do do, do they get like a one-on-one -on -one time with you does it cost thirty thousand dollars per year like the others or nope nope it, it's a lot less it's a fraction of that it's a one-time payment lifetime access um we're selling a thirty thousand dollar course for a fraction of that but it's uh, you get uh, over 300 videos that I made to show people exactly how to do it step by step. You get all the resources, calculators, tools, analyzers, leases, everything we use to build our rentals and buy 300 houses a year, over 100 documents, access to a closed Facebook group. I started Freedom Capital, which is a national lending company that you get access to as a member. Um, and then also they get uh, weekly coaching calls, weekly group coaching calls, four of them. Um, I'm in them sometimes, but usually a couple of coaches that I have that were successful students, um, four of them a week. So you get that for lifetime. 
Um, so it's it's a $50,000 program that people charge once a year that you get lifetime access to. So that's why we've been able to sell so many of them. Um, and it's not like it's $100. It's, it's not super cheap, but it's, it's you know, teaches people how to create wealth. And uh, it's, a, it's a, been a crazy, crazy ride this last few months selling it. That's cool, man. And then they have good success too, huh? The guys who are doing it. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. And then you you can um they can email you for questions and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. When we break down deals and rather than one-on-one -on -one coaching, it's group coaching. So if somebody wants their deal broken down, let's do it in a group setting where everybody can watch and learn as we break the deal down one-on-one. -on -one. There's just other people in the room. We can all learn together. Why would you want 20 people's opinion on your on your issue? Why would you just want one? My opinion is not always right. Why would you want 19 other people that are in your shoes or a little bit ahead of you giving their you their opinion? And people ask questions and somebody's like, I didn't even know to ask that question. Like, I don't even know what I don't know. So anyways, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very, very powerful way to do it. And, um, you know, the people that attend it are, are successful. The people that buy it to say they bought it and don't attend, don't buy anything. But, you know, we have tons of students that are buying a ton. You know, I said, give us some Google reviews and I'll send you a hat. I think that next mm -hmm. week we had 30, you know, Google reviews. I didn't even tell them to give us five stars. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, we're just, uh, it's, you know, like you said, you help people, you sell a $20,000, $30,000 product for a fraction of that. And you can sell a lot of them, make good money. And I'm not trying to maximize every dollar. I could sell it for more, but I'd rather make good money, of course, obviously, but help more people. Yeah, man. How do, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, just uh, you mentioned at the beginning at Sam Faster Freedom, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Just follow me on the platforms. I got a podcast coming out the 10th of August. So I don't know when this will be released, but if this is released after that, then yeah, 10th of uh, August, uh, it's called uh, uh, Ordinary Guys, Extraordinary Wealth. Me and my business partner, Lucas, just we recorded the ninth episode today. So we're going to do that weekly. And then, yeah, just hit me up on Instagram. I still answer messages. So uh, just hit me up if you want any more uh, help or my free training and I'll, uh, I'll help you out. That's awesome. And uh, you said 10th of August. Yep. Is, is it going to be sure that it's going to come out on the 10th of yep. August? You know what? We'll time our podcast release around the same time. So you can check out this, uh, his new awesome. podcast. I appreciate that. Yep. 10th yeah. of August is coming out. We've already got uh, pretty much everything ready to go. And what is it called? Um, ordinary Guys, Extraordinary Wealth. So just like that. talk about where as ordinary as it gets. And we like you, we talked about it, created some pretty cool things and we're normal. So any normal, any normal person can do it too. Nice, man. Awesome. I really like that you mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of people told us too that, hey, you know, don't stick with friends and family to do the deals. And that's all we do. We only do friends and family deals. Yep. So Same with us. Cool. Thanks, man. Andrew, any final words? That's it, man. Thank you very much for your time, Sam. You've been an awesome guest and uh, have been a tremendous value to me and Vince as well as to anyone listening. So thank you for your time. Awesome. You, Appreciate you guys having me. Yeah. Thanks, Sam.